Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money because whether or not we like it, money matters. I'm your host, Maya Fisher-French, and you may remember, if you're a regular listener, that earlier this year, we did a podcast which was trying to unpack the complexity of tax residency in South Africa, especially people who are immigrating. Um, And in that podcast, we explained how an individual taxpayer had to apply for a tax clearance, or what they call a tax clearance or TCS PIN, in order to apply for a tender. Uh, or to make use of their foreign investment allowance, or to confirm their status as uh, as immigrated from South Africa. But this system has completely changed, okay? Um, it has suddenly become a lot more complicated, and especially for people who are looking at just taking money out of the country, it's caused a big brouhaha, so I thought best to bring in the expert. Um, so I'm joined by Thomas Lobin, who is an expert at cross-border taxation at Tax Consulting South Africa. So Welcome, Thomas. Maybe to start by explaining what has just happened. Is this really a huge bombshell? Well, thanks, Maya, and thanks for having me once again. Um, on the 24th of April this year, SARS released new enhancements to what was, as you mentioned before, the tax compliance status or TCS process with immediate effect. Um, essentially, a person who would need clearance to send funds abroad, they would have different options in terms of which TCS uh, PIN they're requiring from SARS. These were either good standing for tender, foreign investment allowance, or uh, following emigration from South Africa. Uh, The good standing PIN for tender has now been done away with, and individuals who would have needed that in the past, that will now be part of a good standing PIN that they obtain. Now, the latter, the Foreign Investment Allowance, or FIA PIN, as it was known, uh, as well as the Immigration PIN, uh, which taxpayers would need in certain circumstances to send their funds out of South Africa, they've now been combined. And in requesting that PIN, the requirements have become a lot more robust uh, from SARS part. So, Thomas, if I remember, I think it was with, I was chatting to, to Martin, one of your colleagues, um, Martin Besedenhout, around the the pin and 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 the financial immigration, and it was complicated. I remember at one point I said, "Don't just stop. I'm getting so confused." So, what you're saying is that all that confusing stuff is now going to be applied to anybody who's just trying to invest offshore. And I'm assuming, of course, this is in excess of your one million. That's not going to affect somebody who's taking a million or less out of the country. Well, to contextualize, you have a person who is a tax resident and you have a person who has ceased to be a South African tax resident. They have become non-resident for tax purposes in this country. Now, when it comes to a resident individual, that person is allowed to send, that individual is allowed to send more than a million, up to a million rand uh, out of South Africa per calendar year before they need approval through a TCS PIN. Now, when they want to transfer more than a million rand in a calendar year, they get this PIN and that authorizes them to send it abroad for that calendar year up to the amount approved. Ten Up to 10 million in terms of a normal FIA application is what it was or a more specialized application if it was more than 10 million for the year. On the other hand, a person who has ceased to be a, a tax resident of South Africa, that person doesn't have that million rand that we call a single discretionary allowance, which means that every cent they externalize, they remit out of South Africa, needs pre-approval through a TCS PIN. 
when we talk about this new ad, uh, approval for international transfer or AIT pin that SARS has introduced, those are the individuals that are now impacted by it. So it's just people who have immigrated, not existing South Africans wanting to take more than a million abroad. It's both of them. So, so if you them. want to transfer more than a million rand, okay. or if you have immigrated, hmm. that's when you need the pin. Okay, so that's how I understood it. And and, and Thomas, that's where I, I think where this, this, this outrage has come, because it is an incredibly complicated process to immigrate. Um, SARS requires the most unbelievable amount of documentation, base costs, a whole lot of other th- things, which is understandable. It's understandable that somebody who is leaving the country forever as and exiting the tax base, SARS would want to make sure they had every last cent of theirs, right? Because your entire global assets are basically taxable until the day you leave. You kind of understand that. But now here's somebody who's saying, well, I'd like to invest my money offshore, externalize some of my money, they're going to have to go through this. And, and is this, I suppose, to some degree, a level of exchange control? And I think some people have said that. They said, is this just a way of bringing exchange control back in a different way or making it harder? Well, it's, it's difficult without being a fly on the wall within SARS when these decisions are made to give a clear answer on that. But what we can do is we, we can understand what's been given to us by SARS in terms of further context. And on the 3rd of May, uh, SARS issued a media statement where they they said that this process is aimed at making it easier for taxpayers to comply with their obligations, granted, i.e. Uh, making it easier for them to comply. Granted, as long as they're compliant, it's not a problem. But at the same time, uh, and I, I, I paraphrase here, it will be harder for taxpayers who are unwilling to comply. They say that all... It allows SARS to ensure that all required tax payable has been accounted for, and if required, address any non-compliance that is detected through a verification and or an audit, which means that the additional information that taxpayers now have to give to SARS, uh, which canvass 38 combined categories of local and foreign assets and liabilities in every single case, each one being compulsory and at cost, it definitely is something that SARS will be using to determine whether further audit is, is, is necessary in each case and if a taxpayer has been compliant. There is a definite enforcement drive in it. And I do, I also, Thomas, part of me wonders about the wealth tax. So, you know, there's also been talk about a wealth tax being introduced into South Africa. We saw, I think it was in the last budget, they said that they're going to start asking um, high net worth individuals to start disclosing all of their assets um, as part of this. So you do get a sense that it is just another way to try and, and extract as much information about South African taxpayers, and especially, obviously, those Let's be honest, there's not a lot of people in South Africa who are going to be putting more than a million a year. I mean, I can put up, I can put a million a year. My husband can put a million a year overseas. You know, there's not a lot of South Africans who've got more than that to put offshore. So if somebody is putting more than that, they're definitely a high net worth individual. So this is, I suppose, a way maybe for SARS to just be gathering more information on, on high net worth individuals. It's, it's a very good question. In the past, it was mainly high net worth individuals that were subject to a higher level of scrutiny by SARS than other taxpayers. But these new enhancements appear to level the playing field and ensure that everyone is held to the same high standard where they're needing this approval. Mm-hmm. Now, for context, a high net worth individual in South Africa 
as somebody with net assets of 70 million and up, as I understand it, as we've previously heard from SARS. Um, however, we also know that from the tax return opening this year, uh, taxpayers who have assets, simply assets worth 50 million rand or more, are also going to be required to disclose all of their assets and liabilities in their return later this year. Um, whether this is part of that project, uh, it's difficult to say with certainty, but it, it definitely does have a, a lifestyle component in it, especially where SARS asks for these items at cost, which they did not do before. Um, and, and, and especially knowing that this is not just for your high net worth individuals. This is for anybody at a level where they're needing the pin. And again, not just for somebody who's wanting to transfer that million, but to a taxpayer who has ceased their residency and now needs to send funds abroad, they have to submit themselves to what is essentially first a self-audit and then a robust SARS check, sending corrobor corroborating documents to make sure that their affairs are in order before they're fully let go. So let me go now to that immigration uh area, right? So you, you're now somebody, and, and what stage does this all kick in? So you're now somebody who's immigrated, maybe immigrated five years ago, maybe you've got the pin that we discussed a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, you got that pin, right? Now you still have some assets, maybe you've got a, a property in South Africa that you're earning some rental income, there's something that you still need to transfer out of South Africa, would you have to go and again, get the pin? Do you, would you have to go to this whole process again, even if you have already declared all of this? So if you've already obtained a PIN from SARS, uh, it's valid for 12 months. If that PIN is still valid, then you've passed the first hurdle. You won't need a further PIN on that basis. However, when one of these PINs is issued, as it was before, it's issued for a specific amount to be remitted out of South Africa. So notwithstanding whether the PIN has expired after those 12 months, if you've reached the limit in terms of want, what you're wanting to send abroad, uh, then you would also need a PIN. But if you haven't sent those amounts out and that PIN hasn't expired yet, then you're still fine. You can still operate under your existing PIN. And and I mean, I do, I'm do. i just always thinking about, you know, Al Capone. They always say it's the, it's the tax man that gets you at the end of the day. And this is exactly with the sense I'm getting with National Treasury and Reserve Bank. It's like, yo, we don't have exchange controls. We just have SARS. <laughs> you know, we're going to make it really, really difficult for you to extract your money from the country. But um, the uh, this idea of, of at cost, and I was thinking about this uh, over the weekend after reading all the all the stuff, and I thought, but realistically, you should, any asset you have, even if you've taken out an investment, would have an at cost attached to it. If it's a, if it's a South African investment that, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about an endowment policy that you took out when you were 25, San Lamar, Mutual, whoever, are going to have that information. So where do you think it's going to be more challenging for people to, to get the at cost? When you're dealing with legacy assets that you've had for a very long time, uh, SARS documentary requirements may not require you to hold those documents anymore, uh, especially where we're talking about decades back in the case of some taxpayers. Uh, another, another, another issue is where you've got multiple sources uh, or where the flow has changed what the source of that income is. Say, for example, you've had a trust distribution a number of years back and you then placed that amount with it into a bond 
and now you're withdrawing it later, you're, you're, you're pulling that out and you're wanting to remit it abroad. The question is, do you then go as far as the bond or do you go further to the trust distributions or does it go further into what has gone into that trust before? This is still somewhat of a gray area that practices like ourselves are engaging with SARS on and needing to determine on the ground as we go. Mm. I mean, I think you guys are going to have a huge amount of work and a, there's a huge amount of frustration. And um, the this this announcement on the 24th of April, was it immediate? So it's not like somebody can say, well, I was planning on taking out a couple of million. Let me do it quickly now. Or was it just, it happened? It happened. And you make a very good point about a lot, a lot more work. It's not just a lot more work for us. It's a lot more work for any taxpayer who wants to send those funds abroad. Um, to to contextualize it, uh, you 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 place down the basis on which you're applying for it. Either you're a resident or a non-resident. If you say that if you're non-resident, proof, please. Then your further interests. These are trust interests, shareholding in other companies, and loans to uh, and from trusts internationally. Then you go into the nature of the amount to be remitted. And the sources, which can be multiple sources, there are 14 categories that can be chosen from. Each of those cascades into further questions that are asked, further documentary requirements. Um, I can I can tell you immediately off the cuff that a distribution from a trust alone will have seven different documentary requirements. So especially where you're dealing with a source of amount of an amount being more than one place, perhaps, or having flown through different sources over time, those documentary requirements can become very burdensome very, very quickly. Um, so definitely it is a lot more red tape, um, especially if you're a, more of a, a, a sophisticated taxpayer to send any amounts abroad. And it's it's definitely a reason to make sure that you measure twice and cut once in terms of ensuring that you're compliant before you touch base with SARS on that application. And and just to sum up, any advice that you would give um, people now who are perhaps looking either at, at just investing more money offshore or are actually looking at immigration? Is it just start pulling out the files and documents? Like, what advice? Uh, that's not a bad point, actually. Um I would say if 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 your if your matter is very simple, you're able to you're able to track back where amounts that you're sending out come from. It's very uncomplex, it's simple, you have everything, then fantastic. Make sure that you are compliant in your affairs, not just what the SARS status tells you, but actually compliant. You know, no rental income not disclosed for a particular year or whatever it may be. Um, if you if you err towards being more of a sophisticated taxpayer, that is somebody who has local foreign assets, perhaps interests in a trust shareholding in companies, whatever it may be, uh, perhaps don't do that alone. Um, it's probably best to have an experienced hand guide you. And whereas you won't have somebody who's very experienced with AIT pins and the processes that follow uh, there just yet, uh, you do have practitioners who have assisted in this area before the former FIA pins, the immigration TCS pins, and of course, just overall dealing with SARS audits, what they look for and how they look for it. Um, that's best advised for, for more sophisticated taxpayers, definitely.
Yeah, I think you, it's not an area you can never get any more on your own. Um, and, and the laws are changing so quickly, Thomas. You actually need someone who can keep up with the law, I think, <laughs> the changes. And just my last question actually just came to my mind now is, is this more complicated than other places in the world? Uh, or do you find that if somebody was externalizing their money from the US or the UK or Europe or Malaysia or wherever, they would f- face a similar kind of audit? It's apples and oranges, to be honest with you. There are some countries um, in in sub-Saharan Africa that are much stricter, that, uh, at least from, from my perspective and from what I've seen. But other countries, by and large, I haven't seen this extent of control. Um, that said, uh, uh, the the focus is elsewhere with other countries. Every every state's uh, uh, scenario generally is different. So you'll find that regulation will follow the need. Um, whether the need has arisen here for South Africa, it's debatable either, either way. We've just been grey listed in February, uh, which is definitely a cause to. Uh, impose stricter controls in in terms of compliance and monetary flows. Um, But whether you see it to this extent in every country, Mm. I can't tell you. Mm. Mm. Actually, an interesting point you made about grey listing, actually. Um, I, I imagine there's, that if we, if we had to put it all together, it's, it's, it's a whole lot of little things that are, have, have resulted in this. And, and, you know, it is, it is about SARS looking for, for money that, that is, is outside the, the tax net. It is probably about the amount of money that is leaving South Africa and, and, and is there a way to stem the tide to some degree? And the grey listing, you know, it, it goes all together, I think. So, and um, at the end of the day, it just, I think what's so sad is it just makes the compliant, regular taxpayer's life more difficult um, and, and more cumbersome. Um, when people are just simply trying to manage their, their financial affairs as best they can, it just makes life a little bit more difficult. But, uh, but Thomas, thank you so much for your insight and just, just giving some clarity to it um, and just, yeah, assisting all the listeners with, with, with what's actually going on. I appreciate it. Thank you. 